We are in a sermon series. We're actually in a very long sermon series that started last December as we're looking at the life of Christ chronologically from the manger to the cross to his ascension into heaven. And if you were here last Sunday, you would have seen that we focused on the teachings of Jesus as he's teaching his disciples about the law. We focused on the law. We, we learned about that last week. That the law is not policemen. That the law is not courts. It's not our legal system. But rather, it's the laws that were handed down by God the Father and given to the Jews to live by. And we also recognize that Jesus recognized the rules and the boundaries that God had laid down for, for our lives. He recognized the law. He recognized the Old Testament as being authoritative. It was their Bible. It was their scripture. And he told us that we are not to change the law. He says, I didn't come to change the law. I came to fulfill the law. And we saw that if God is the creator of our rules and the law that we're supposed to live by, that the Jews were to live by, he is the only one who has the power and the authority to make any changes to the law and to the rules, right? He is the only one that has the opportunity to expand on them. When Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, he is speaking to his disciples as a rabbi. He's speaking to them as a teacher of the day. He's presenting himself as somebody who is, is, is giving them information for them to learn by. And they were familiar with rabbis. They were familiar with teachers. It would have been really common in his day and age to hear a rabbi speak and use terms like, they, they would say, thus saith the Lord. And then they would read scripture. Or they would quote scripture and they would attribute all the words in their teaching to God. You would never hear a rabbi in that day and age who would give commentary, who would give opinion in a homily or a, or a sermon. That, that just, they didn't have the authority to do that. But Jesus is different in his teaching. His audiences actually started to recognize Jesus as being different and presenting a word with authority. I want you to see what we read in the book of Mark, chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. It says, Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and be began to teach. The people were all amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of the religious law. So when Jesus started to present his lessons, when he started to teach, he teaches differently than anyone else. And it's on this basis of the authority of Christ that we are going to go into the next few messages. Because Jesus is going to do something with the Old Testament law that nobody else can do. He's going to do something with the rules that God had laid down that nobody else can do. Although the scribes and the religious leaders of the day had absolutely no authority to change or add to or examine or expand the laws of God, Jesus absolutely does. It's important to remember that Jesus has this authority to expand on the commands of God because Jesus is, in fact, God. Amen? 
So if only God can take the law and can take the rules and can expand on it, there's only one who can do that, right? That's Jesus. And I ask you to open your Bibles this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verse, we're going to start in verse number 21. We're going to be reading uh, 21 through 25. I believe we're going 21 through, uh, 21 through 26 this morning in a message that I have titled, Managing Our Emotions. This happens to be one of the first times that we're going to see that Jesus is going to take the Old Testament law and especially some of the Ten Commandments and he's actually going to expand on the meaning of this law. And he's expanding on these so that he can, he can focus in on some irregularities in the, in the actions of the people who are living at that time. We're going to begin in Matthew chapter 5, we're in verse number 21. Matthew writes this, that's quoting Jesus. He says, you have heard that our ancestors were told, you shall not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with somebody, you are subject to judgment. If you call somebody an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. If you, cause, if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Jesus is leading with a very important, important message to his disciples in this lesson, and it becomes point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you joining us for the first time, you'll find on the left-hand side of your bulletin, there's some fill-in-the-blanks, and we're going to fill those up. They'll be up here on the screen, and I'll give you those answers as we go. Point number one in your notes this morning, our sin does not begin with our action, but rather the emotion that leads to our action. Our sin does not begin with our action, but rather it begins with our emotions that lead to our action. Now, Jesus said, you have heard it said of the ancestors, of our ancestors, or that, that you have heard it been said through the scripture that you shall not murder. It's actually one of the Ten Commandments, right? It says, thou shall not murder. What Jesus is saying, Jesus being God, and he's starting to expand on this command and on this revelation that God the Father gave down to Moses thousands of years before, and he's adding to it. He's, he's adding meaning to this, okay? We all know what murder is. It's the intentional taking of somebody's life. And we'll say outside of capital punishment. We won't deal with that right now, okay? But we know what murder is. Murder is the result of an internal burning. It's the result of a selfishness. More often than not, the emotion that is tied to the result of murder is the emotion of anger. We can more often see if there's a murder somewhere, there is an anger somewhere that started it. Somewhere it may be pointed towards somebody else. And I know there's times in your life, and there's been times in my life, and, and, uh, when you get just so mad, that, uh, and there's words that are going through our mind that say, oh, I, I could just kill them right now. Yeah? You might not literally mean that on the outside, but let me tell you, there's some place in your soul that means that on the inside, right? 
Jesus is saying, thou shalt not murder, and the laws that, that have already been laid down, speaking against murder, he's saying, he's saying murder will face judgment, but he expands this to say, he says, no, it's more than that. It's more than the end result. I care about the emotion that led to the result. He says, everything that encompasses murder all the way back to anger is now subject to judgment. Anger is one of those emotions that it's going to make you do things that you're going to regret. It will absolutely make you do things that you are going to regret. Some of you know I spend time during the week at a jail. Kelly does as well. And, and we, are around, we are around men on a regular basis who... For all intents and purposes, there's, there's a lot of good in these people. But there was a rage, there was anger that led to an action that now has turned into a lifetime of regret. An absolute lifetime of regret. Anger is such a dark, dark emotion that it leads to depression, it could lead to torment, it could lead to, to total emotional and and just a spiritual takeover anger can take us over right there's times when it absolutely can take us over you know who loves anger satan loves anger it is absolutely one of his best weapons and he loves using anger against Christians, and he loves offering it to Christians. He loves to give you the reason to be angry with other people. Loves that. Because he knows that anger is this emotion that he can get the most exposure out of because anger does not simply destroy one life, it destroys two or more. Always. It's Anger, when acted upon, it's going to hurt its target, but it also destroys its host. See, it's not who you're angry against that's the only victim. It's our hearts also that are the victim, right? And there's times that, that what we don't realize is it's, it's the one that we're angry against and it's our actions against them that have a ripple effect, that have a ripple effect on their kids, that have a ripple effect on, on their wives and on their husbands and their aunts and their uncles. Anger is an emotion that rages and Satan loves to use anger. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27, Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus. He says, And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Anger gives him a foothold. It gives an opportunity. It creates space for him to work. He loves working in anger. If he's reaching back for an arrow out of his quiver to, to shoot us with, he can grab anger and shoot us with it every time because he knows that he knows that it hurts more than just one person. 
See, this is a start of a warning in this lesson from Jesus showing that, that we must protect our hearts. And we must protect our souls. And that the anger of Satan that he wants to give us, that Satan wants to give us, he wants us to, to go and give it to other people. You know, anger leads to gossip sometimes, right? Because we, we end up taking our anger and, and, and then we end up talking to somebody else about what somebody else did to us. And it just turns into this, this cycle Jesus goes on to say, he says, if you call somebody an idiot, you are guilty. Or if you say, you fool, you are guilty of judgment. In the original language, it would have used the word, and some of your translations will say raka. If, it'll say, if, to, if, uh, if you, were, you call somebody raka, it literally means to call somebody brainless. It's the brainless one. And in our society, in our watered-down society... Our entertainment venues are totally fine with using names, calling people names. You know that the idea of simply calling people names is where anger can start? I mean, think about it on the playground. Now we call them bullies, right? And that's where anger starts. And it's not only, not only in the one that's calling names, but it's in the one that's receiving that. You've got two hearts that are hurting, right? You've got one that, that, that is dark and black, and you have another one that is very hurt. Jesus is saying, wow, I want you to recognize where anger starts. Even if you are mad enough with somebody that you simply started calling them names, that means, that means you're looking down on somebody else that God purposely created. And we have a hatred in our heart. We have an anger in our heart because of that. What it means is that our sin is already showing. So we haven't gone as far to murder. And chances are that we won't. But the beginning of actions that lead to murder have already formed in our hearts. That's why Jesus is saying, yes, there is a rule against murder, but he says, but I say, I want you to pay attention to the emotion that starts down that road. Because we know that murder is the end result. I want you to be, pay attention to the beginning action. I want you to pay attention to where it starts. This dark emotion, he says, this has to be fixed. We can't go on like this. We can't go on with this in our heart. I want you to see what he says in Matthew chapter 5. We're now in verse number 23. He says, So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that somebody has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, and then and come, and offer, come and offer your sacrifice to God. See, in Jesus' time, if you were to bring sacrifices to the temple. You would actually bring living sacrifices. You would bring a lamb. You would bring doves. You would bring an animal that would come, okay? And this animal is to atone for your sins. That's what it's for. And you would go into the temple, and depending on who, who you, were, you were, you would go through first the gate of the Gentiles. Gentiles can't go any further. 
you would go through the, the court of women. Women couldn't go any further. The men would go a little bit further. Eventually, you would bring and you would come and, and, and you would present your animal to the, to the priest. But Jesus is saying something really important. I want you to write this down. This is point number two in your notes. Coming into God's presence with anger in our hearts diminishes our ability to fully worship Jesus. Coming into God's presence with anger in our hearts diminishes our ability to fully worship Jesus. So when they, in then those days, would bring the animals into the temple to be sacrificed, eventually someone would stand in front of the priest and they would be holding their animal in their hands, the sacrificial animal, and they would end up putting their hand on the head of this animal, and it, and it is, it's a, it's a transfer of sins from a person to this animal that is going to go and be slaughtered. And the priest would take that animal and would go and sacrifice that animal on the behalf of the person who, who brought it. And there were times that from this ceremony, people would still walk away feeling guilty. They would still walk away, and it was almost a superstition of sorts that said, okay, well, maybe it didn't work. Maybe, maybe this sacrifice didn't work. They would walk away with this deep sense of, of guilt that an animal just died on their behalf, but they still feel something. They still feel like they have done wrong. And what we recognize today is that we tried to bring an offering for our sins, but we didn't clean our heart first. That we came in front of the altar, we came to worship, but we still, have, we still have this anger in our heart and it diminishes our ability to fully worship Jesus. We can't fully come to him in, in worship when we, when we have this baggage, right? We don't atone for our sins in our world by bringing a lamb to sacrifice because Jesus was our sacrificial lamb on the cross, amen? But the lesson is very important. Jesus is telling his disciples that if believers come to the temple with your sacrifice, when you come, if you have anger for your brother in your heart, or, or anger for your sister in your heart, go and fix it. Since go and fix it before you come and make your sacrifice. Fix it. Don't let it fester. That is the reminder that Jesus is telling us that it's time to put this to an end. He says, I don't know how long this has gone on, but it's time to end this. Because what's happening is that we come to church and we still have anger in our heart and it's hurting our ability to fully worship Jesus. It is, it is, it's getting in the way. There's something there. Watch what James writes in chapter 1, verse 19. He says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save souls. He says, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. 
We should have no desire to be producing anything that does not produce the righteousness that God desires from us, right? The only thing that we should that we should be desiring to produce is righteousness in God's sake, glory for God's sake. Anger doesn't produce that. Anger doesn't produce glory for God. Jesus is asking us to pay attention to what's in our hearts. How are we truly supposed to come into His presence in pure worship when our heart has a lump of pure evil inside? If if, if anger is this emotion that can eventually lead to murder, one of the restrictions and the rules of the Ten Commandments that thou shalt not murder, how can we truly expect to, to sit in a room of reverence when our hearts are burning with retaliation and vengeance? We can come to Christ and lay it at his feet, but if we come to Christ and we decide we're going to pick this baggage up and walk back out with it, it's our job to come and lay it at the feet of Christ, right? Eventually, we have to leave this alone and walk away from it, right? It actually leads us to one of the hardest actions that we ever have to partake in as a Christian. I don't know if you've heard many people say this, But I think some people take the easy way out when it comes to their anger. I would honestly say that murder is easier than reconciliation. It's easier. When it comes to the action of murder and all the different ways that we can murder somebody, reconciliation is hard, right? To to eliminate a person might be easier than eliminating the anger. But we're not told to eliminate people. We are told to eliminate the anger. That's our job. Jesus says before it even gets to this point to where murder is even something that you're thinking about, I want you to eliminate the anger. He says this does not show righteousness. This does not bring righteousness. It does not bring glory to my name. The problem... Problem's a couple of fold. It's twofold. Selfishness and pride. These two things you can look at almost any relationship in our world. And you say, why didn't this relationship work? You can almost boil it down to one of those two things. Selfishness or pride. The problem is that we allow Satan to inch his way into our hearts. And we let, we let this hatred permeate the, the cracks. It's like water. If you, you, put, you put water, you put water into, you know, into a rock, you put it into rocks, and, and, and once it's frozen, maybe it starts to freeze and it starts to expand, and what's going to happen is it's going to break those rocks apart. It destroys, it, water, frozen water can destroy whatever container it's put in. That's what anger does. When was the last time you put a soda in the freezer and walked away? Remember what happened? You put anger in a heart and walk away and watch what happens. It's going to destroy whatever container that it's in. We're told not to let anger fester. And, and, and don't let it grow because that, that anger, it eventually can lead to murder. But let's not even go that far. Let's not go to, to anger leading to murder. Let's go to anger leading to 
desertion of people. We did just desert people. Let's go to anger leading to, I'm not going to talk to my brother or my sister for a decade. Because somebody wronged me, and I'm going to have nothing to do with them. Are we ever given permission to not have anything to do with a brother or sister in Christ? We're not, right? But see, anger, Satan's one of Satan's favorite emotions. It's not a one-time deal. Anger can last years. Anger can last. It can last through your family. You can pass your anger down to your kids. Your kids could pass anger down to their kids. Anger could last generations, but it doesn't show God's glory. It doesn't show God's righteousness. We're told not to let it fester at all. That if we're supposed to worship Christ in purity, we need to get the impurities out of our heart. Amen? Amen. Ultimately, the hatred and the anger that we have towards other people absolutely affects our relationship with God. Our worship is not in full effect if we have anger in our hearts for other people. Our giving through our sacrifice and our tithes and our offerings is not fully pleasing to God if we come to Him and we have anger in our hearts towards other people. Can you see how anger can taint our relationship with God? Some people have anger towards God Himself, right? That's going to taint a relationship with God. But it's absolutely going to taint a relationship with God when we have... Do I need this microphone? Yes. Okay. It is absolutely going to taint our relationship with God when... when we have anger for other people... What is it that's keeping us from fully having an unadulterated relationship with Jesus? Do do we have anger? Do we have a frustration with other people that is leading, that is creating that, that barrier? It absolutely can be. How we're managing our relationships with other people can absolutely be having an effect on how we are managing our relationship with God. Have you ever had something that deep down you wanted to try and hide from God? Like something you know that if, if I'm going to prayer, if I'm, if I'm talking to God about something, that I really don't want to talk about this, that I want to try and hide this. If our anger for somebody else is one of those issues that we're not bringing up to God. That means we're trying to hide it from God, which means that it is affecting our relationship with God. We're not being fully open with Him, right? And, then, and when we put the fate of our own lives and the fate of those who are accusing us and those who we are accusing, when we're putting all of those Inside these worldly systems, there's nothing good that's going to come out of these situations. The world will tell you it's okay to hate. It'll tell you that it's okay to cause separation. But I want you to see what Jesus says about letting the world solve our problems for us. Come back with me into Matthew. We're in chapter 5. 
We're in verse number 25. Jesus says this, When you are on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge, who will hand you over to an officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid every last penny. See, this is an amazing example from Jesus. When, when he's teaching us, this is what happens when, when we don't manage our relationships properly and biblically. This is point number three in your notes this morning. The actions that arise from the emotions of anger lead to devastation. That's pretty simple. The actions that arise from the emotions of anger lead to devastation. I have never seen anyone get angry, and at the end of their actions, everyone was smiling and happy. It doesn't happen that way. There is nothing positive or godly that comes from our actions that result in anger. And in the time of Jesus' teaching... The disciples would understand this because there were the civil problems, the the legal problems would have gone before the Sanhedrin, a religious court. Remember we talked last week that there wasn't a separation of church and state, right? And, And so now Jesus is creating a new authority for our lives and he's telling us that going to court, it's, it's not going to lead to a biblical outcome. Now, we're not going to talk about our legal system today, but what, what we are going to learn from this is Jesus says, don't let your anger lead you to man's court. He says, because what's going to happen is man will, man will put you in prison, and, and, and man will require you to pay back this debt, and in those days, so you've got to pay this debt while you're in jail. Kind of hard to do, right? kind of difficult to do. He says it's going to lead to civil outcomes, but it does nothing to lead people to Christ. That's our job, right? So if we're ending up going to court against our adversary, especially brothers and sisters in Christ, he says, work it, work it out. He's saying, let's work this out. We're not to let our anger dictate our actions because the actions that are related to our anger can lead us, can lead to devastation in our lives. It could lead to devastation in our families' lives. It could lead to to devastation in those who are the target of our anger. It could lead to devastation in the lives of their children, of their family. Many people who are victims of anger were never the intended target of the anger. They weren't the target of, 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 of somebody's vengeance. They're innocent. So sometimes when, when we let our anger and we let our emotions lead, because there's that one person that's been speaking bad about us, There's that one person, and we're out to get them, right? We're going to do whatever we can. We're out to get them. But a lot of times we forget about their kids. A lot of times we forget about his wife. We forget about her husband. We forget about their coworkers. 
See, anger and revenge and vengeance is a powerful emotion that Satan loves to use because he doesn't just destroy one life with it, he destroys many. In the book of Proverbs, there are about 40 different verses that talk about anger. And I'm going to bring up a couple of them. Proverbs 14, verse 29, it says, People with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. Proverbs 18, 19 says, An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Proverbs 22, 24, and 25 says this, Don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people, or you will learn to, watch this, be like them and endanger your soul. What a powerful warning, right? Watch this, Proverbs chapter 10, verse number 12. Hatred stirs up quarrels. Read this with me. Read the last part. But love makes up for all offenses. We've got to work things out. And it's understandable to know that sometimes we don't really know how to go and speak to those who have wronged us. I get it. Sometimes apologizing is hard. Amen? Amen. Sometimes asking forgiveness is hard. But if we don't, there is continual disruption in our relationship with God and continual destruction in our relationships with others. Managing our emotions and fixing our relationship, that's not easy. But would it be fair to say neither was willingly going to the cross? One of the men who was a disciple of the Apostle John, the Apostle John, we believe, died about the year 90 A.D., and one of his disciples was a man by the name of Polycarp. And Polycarp was instrumental in taking the message from the apostles and, and, and instrumental in, in getting the beginning of the early church formed. And he was one of the men who was passing the baton of Christianity from the apostles on and down to us. He is in a very important early church figure, an early church father. And he came, his life came to a very tragic end when he was captured at about 86 years old. And he was told that he needed to renounce his faith in Jesus or else he was going to burn at the stake. Polycarp told his accusers, that he would not renounce his faith in Jesus. And he was justly going to take the stake. And he says, I'm going to take this because Jesus has done so much more for me. His last quote, he said, 80 and six years I have served him, and he never did me any injury. How can I then blaspheme my King and Savior? When we think about the enormity of what Jesus has done for us, and we put that into perspective, for us to walk into that uncomfortable conversation that we have to have with a loved one or with somebody and ask them to forgive us 
That is minor compared to what Christ did for us. Amen? Amen. Us offering forgiveness to somebody is small compared to Christ going to the cross. Us offering to, to let anger subside and to work things out is small compared to the gift of salvation that we have been given. We deserve eternal death. And Christ went to the cross for us. If Jesus took the nails for us, then we should be able to take on forgiveness in his name for other people. Amen. See, Jesus addressed anger in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount because it is really, really important. Some of us struggle with it on a regular basis. I'm not going to lie to you, full disclosure, that there's probably times that I find myself in areas of more anger that get the best of me, and I know I'm not alone. And I want you to know that you're not alone. And it's not a good position to be in. Because as Christians, it's hard to grow in Christ when we have anger festering in our hearts. But here's the, here's the one thing that we can be joyous about is that Christ is bigger than our anger. Amen? Amen. But he can't help if we don't let him. Right? right? I'm going to ask David to come back up and play here. But I want to ask you that if you are struggling with anger today, I want, I want you to come up and I want to I pray with you. And I'm going to ask something of you. I'm just going to be 100% honest with you. Full disclosure. Because it's being real. It's being real with God. It's being real with others. Yesterday at about 12.30, 11.30 rather, I got a phone call that told us that we weren't going to be able to have church at the school. It's not easy to move everything here. I was angry. And the gentleman on the phone did not deserve from me the way that I spoke to him yesterday. I didn't curse him, but... But I was angry with the situation. And I talked to him again that afternoon and after our second or third conversation when I was probably more rough than I should have been I had to apologize to him say look you know what I know I've been angry today and I know that the way I've spoken to you isn't isn't a way it's not representative of Jesus and it's been on my heart ever since yesterday. It was a tough situation. I want you to know that as you work on anger, as we see this as an important aspect of our lives, it's so important. Jesus, he spoke on this specifically. I want you to know that you're not alone, that I'm struggling with this too. 
that it's something that we're all working through together. In a few minutes, we're going to come back here to the seats. Our break won't be long, but if you're interested in knowing more about church membership, we're going to sit down and talk about it. We're not signing up today. I'm just giving you information. But the one thing about church membership, it's what we call a covenant community. It's like a marriage to a group. In a marriage, you've got two people that take care of each other and they're there for each other, right? In a church family, in church membership, we're there for each other. We're here for each other. I'll tell you, there's over the last 24 hours since yesterday, in hearing from you, from those who helped make the decision to move here, for those who had showed up this morning to help set up, even hearing from Richard, where's Richard at? Richard giving me like nine text messages this morning on who he's bringing to church. And, and he, he actually this morning is sending me Spotify songs on, by text message. I want you to know that as a pastor, I'm accountable to you, but I lean on you also. And I thank you for being there for me today because it's been a hard couple of days.